you know, girls can't be what they can't see. So we're creating authentic leaders within the sector. I, I never walked away and said, sorry, that's just the way it's always done. I would question things. Because the reality is we're not here for a long time. So why would we want to half do life? Why not be the best that we can? I think it's so important that we teach these girls at a young age that exactly as you are, you are perfect. Welcome to the Debunking Your Growth Mindset podcast with Sean McCambridge. In this podcast, we will unpack practical ways to help you grow and build on your current mindset and challenge old habits so you can see the potential that's within us all and learn how to get out of your own way. We've, uh, we've got Tamika Smith joining us today, a really interesting and inspirational podcast. Uh, she covers some great uh, aspects, including how some of the challenges early in life have really shaped and defined her journey from here, and she's really sought to turn them into uh, a positive Um how she's uh, she's uh, used self awareness and reading of books and mentors to grow and develop as an individual, but also how she's uncovered some opportunities in a business context out of some problems or issues, and how she's utilised I, I guess her uh, out of the box thinking and entrepreneurial sort of drive to create businesses that really address those issues or problems. So it's a really insightful podcast. I've got no doubt there's some great takeaways, and I think you guys will really enjoy it. So. Uh, if you really enjoy it and you get uh, you know some value out of it, uh, I'd uh, encourage you guys to send it on to other people that may also get that benefit and also to put in a rating um, at some point in time as well. That would be fantastic. So thanks for joining. Tamika, thanks so much for joining us here today. Really, uh, really appreciate you taking some time to uh, share your journey. Um, through my research and, and speaking to some people that know you, uh, it's clear that you're uh, a bit of a dynamo. You're a founder of two quickly growing uh, businesses, which is no mean feat. Doing one at any given time is uh, an amazing team, but two is uh, incredible. Uh, you were the Gold Coast Businesswoman of the Year in 2017 uh, and a finalist in 2018 for the Australian Construction Awards for Women in Construction. You're also uh, a big participant and volunteer with children in foster care charities. Um, so I guess... I want to go back to the beginning. You know, you've got uh, evidently an awful lot of entrepreneurial drive and spirit and energy. Where did this all come from? You know, where did it all begin? Yeah, thanks, Sean. I think a lot of that stemmed from early childhood trauma. At around 13 or 14, I was in a lot of uh, situations that most people wouldn't normally go through in their entire lives. So I was faced with a lot of circumstances at a young age, which meant that. I had to become quite decisive. I was also around a lot of people who didn't step up to be accountable to situations that were around. So very early on, I had to make the decision that I could either A, be a product of excuses or B, be accountable and make the decisions that people around me were not prepared to make. I think the more executives you meet, Sean, the uh, the more, well, I guess the more self-aware ones that you meet, you realise that a lot of us are really trying to create a world that we didn't have and that's exactly what I set out to do. Yeah, and it seems like uh, as a young individual to have that uh, clarity um, around who you wanted to be and, and equally and maybe more importantly who you didn't want to be at a, at a young age was uh 
quite remarkable. So, I mean, how did you? How did you? You talk about self awareness before. How did you, as a as a young individual, have that self awareness to choose a, a, a different path to, to to what was playing out? I guess in the in the environment that you had at that point in time. I think a lot of it was being confronted with what I didn't want. Um, a lot of that was put in front of me to say this is where you're going and I protested that. I was always a, a child who would question why we had to do things um, and then being faced with such a so many bad experiences at once at a young age, it really put in front of me that this is where you're going, this is where your life is and this is where everyone around you is going to. So I put the brakes on quite firmly and said, no, you know, that, that's not where my life's going. And when people around you aren't prepared to catch the ball and say, I've got this and I've got you, you have no choice but to either succumb to that and go, okay, well, I'm not happy with my life and I'll surrender to that or I'll stand up, I'll make some decisions and I will do what it takes to get to where I want to go. You know, I had goals board or boards all over my walls. I, I would read so much because in my mind it was quite logical that if I just followed this path, I would get to there. So, yeah, I made the decision probably at about 13, 14 that that's where I would go. And I think everyone sets out their career sailing the ship and, you know, I had to explore all these new territories and storm, go through a lot of storms, I guess, if you look at it that way. But when you find accomplishment and you overcome battles, you find meaning. And, and the only goal from that point onwards then is to step out of, you know, steering the ship and, and become a lighthouse, which is all I really set out to do. Well, it sounds like you made some powerful choices as a young lady and what I like about all of that is you, you seem to have a fairly compelling vision of the future, where you wanted to go, what you wanted to achieve with your vision boards and whatnot. And I think uh, that's obviously uh, been a big motivator for you. But um, talking about vision, talk to us a little bit about the two businesses you founded and, and how did they come about? Sure. Well, TSR Property Solutions um, was founded, I was with Metricon Homes for about eight years of uh, my career and I found while I was there we were we were delivering a large piece in the pie but I, I couldn't I couldn't touch everything from a development point of view so I set out to have more of an earlier intervention with my clients to be able to get in from the beginning I, because when I was at Metricon I started to write lists for people as to what they should look for when purchasing a block of land to ensure that they could get the maximum results so I basically jumped out and ran and thought, no, I can alleviate a really big problem here because I'm seeing so many people be screwed over, lose money, and they were the mum and dad developers, the ones who couldn't afford the project managers, the development managers. They didn't have the 5 or 10% 5 fee up front to be able to fund that. So I started, um, started TSR about three and a half years ago, and what we did, Sean, is that we had project management and development management fees built in by the builder so the client wouldn't have the upfront cash flow issues that most developers have and they could get the surety around their projects being overseen by an expert in the industry. So that's how TSR started um, and that was very much walking the path, you know, dealing with builders, dealing with being the underdog, being a young woman in the industry and pushing boundaries that hadn't been pushed before. And to be honest, the work 
was was rather easy. It was the environment and the culture that was quite difficult in, in being in construction. So similar to, to my childhood, I think many people turned to me and said, look, to me, that's just the way it is. And, and to be honest, that wasn't good enough for me. That wasn't, um, I wasn't someone that was going to continue to sit sit back and accept that's the way things were done. So after winning the Young Businesswoman of the Year, I decided to leverage the attention I was getting um, into women within the sector and give them a platform to speak. So that's how the top 100 women come about. Initially, I'd set out to feature 100 women over a 12-month period and that just grew a lot quicker than what we could have expected because for once women within the sector had a had a place, had the microphone where they could be authentically themselves. They got to step out of the shadows of being who everyone expected them to be and they got to be themselves. So within a 12-month period, we had... 3,300 women in a community globally um, with women in, in, in all aspects of construction and development. So I had to step back and make some decisions to go, what am I doing with this? Because clearly there's a big demand here. So we had people offering us money for events and I didn't have the infrastructure because I was quite busy with TSR. But it's like most things, right? You have a set vision in your head of where you're going, but you need to step back at times to assess if that's the best way forward or if you need to be a little bit more adaptable and flexible with, with where life's taking you. So decided to, to put a board of directors together for the top 100 just in December last year and already in the last, uh, last couple of months. That's, that's building up quite well behind the scenes to become one of the fastest growing networks for women in construction and development around the world. And just picking up on that, it seems like you, you've had the foresight to sort of get some of those structures or governance aspects in place to sort of support the, um, no doubt, the, the ongoing growth. But what is, the, what is the, the elevator pitch when you're sort of at a dinner party or whatnot and people say, tell me, what is the vision or the uh, reason why uh, Top 100 Women exists? What, what is the answer that you give? That's a good question. I, I would say it's um, it's giving women the power to be themselves. You know, girls can't be what they can't see. So we're creating authentic leaders within the sector. We're, we're approaching girls and saying we're creating a, a platform that offers transparency and accountability to the sector. If you look at those movements like Me Too and so forth, Sean, they created a hell of a lot of awareness in the world of this is not acceptable. And we're not going to do things like this. And that actually pulls people under line subliminally. That makes people go, hang on, we're not going to do that because we're going to get called out on it. The top 100 is very different to a typical women's group, though, because we're not there to hate men. And we're actually setting out to drive some real key solutions, not just awareness. Some of the things we're building behind the scenes is based on the problems that we've been given, which is we want to employ women, but we can't find them. Something we're building behind the scenes is a tender room exclusively to find women within the sector and connect them. So I think that's the biggest difference with this group as opposed to an awareness group. We're really setting out to go, we've got the problem and here's the solution. Yeah, it's fantastic. Well, it certainly seems like you're shining a light on some of the uh, talented uh, individuals in that regard, but um, also, you know, I guess enabling uh, solutions to some of those problems out there as well, which uh, I think that's uh, really, really 
Cool. Uh, I mean, I, I want to take a step back pre the companies and um, a lot of the listeners will perhaps no doubt know one of the larger uh, project builders across Australia in Metricon and it's my understanding that you become the number one salesperson uh, within that group which is uh, no doubt um, you know not an easy feat. Um, I guess if I was to sort of step outside your own head for a moment and if I was to ask the leadership team at Metricon uh, what would they say uh, if I was to ask them why Tamika was so successful in their environment? You know, you know, what, what, how would they sort of describe that? It's funny, you know, because with most entrepreneurs, they they make people happy, but they also annoy people on the way <laughs> because they have this vision <laughs> that's, that's a matter of get out of the road, I've got to get there. Yep. So, look, I was quite lucky that um, one of the owners actually put me on when I was 19. So I jumped onto his wing a little bit and and he, he very much guided me through a lot of things. But my intentions were always good. And that was very clear from the beginning that um, I pushed the boundaries. I had rules around me, but I would question them. You know, why is it done that way? If we just take 10 centimetres out of the house, I can get that to work for the client. But I was very much driven by meeting my client's needs. I, I never walked away and said, sorry, that's just the way it's always done. I would question things. You know, I'd sit with the estimating department, the drafting department, contracts, and I needed to understand why that was done a certain way. You can see people showing their thinking in a box and it's like if it doesn't tick five out of the five boxes, it's no. It's just no. Someone like me would come in and go, but we can adapt that first box and make it a little bit better and it'll tick it. So I'd probably say, you know, if I look at, Jason, who put me on, he would. He said to me when I started my own business, I, you know, I thought you and you always would, and you because I had that persistence and that ability to question why. But like with most visionaries at a young age, you don't always have the self awareness to communicate what you're trying to do. So I think that is something that entrepreneurs need to address because often they can come across as rude arrogant and they're not they're just trying to get to what they see in their mind but they're not always able to articulate how that looks so yeah look I think it would definitely be a positive um, feedback I hope by all means um, but I was the the first woman to, to reach that which was something that was that was really important to me because when I started at 19 there wasn't many girls then and, and now Metricon's got a great a great team and they've got over 50% of women within their, within their organisation across Australia and a lot of millennials too, which says a lot about the culture that they're breeding. Yeah, no, well, uh, I think uh, fantastic outcome there for Metricon. Obviously, you achieved some great things there and, and I guess I just sort of want to um, leverage that answer a little bit more. It certainly seems like you were very customer-centric. You really wanted to understand the why uh, things could or couldn't be done and sort of challenge that a little bit and, and with that sort of think outside the square but it's my opinion when you deal with a great salesperson they make a profound impact to the people that are involved and unfortunately in the world of sales there is a lot of people that don't do that they're transactional they're self-driven they're self-interested mm. and all that sort of stuff but when you come across the, the very best sales people and we're in the sales environment I believe they've got a a wonderful place and a role to play. But, I mean, what is the trick other than what you've talked about so far when it comes to becoming uh, a great salesperson in your uh, experience? Yeah, 
Great question. I, I believe it's down to authenticity and filling the mm-hmm. need. And that's what people really need to unpack and pull apart if trying to deliver a solution. It's not a matter of forcing closing techniques and pushing someone into a corner. I think it's important to learn a lot of that, but I learned a lot of my sales techniques um, from Tom Hopkins in America. He's, he's quite renowned for a book he wrote called Act Like a Lion, Sell Like a Lamb, it was, I believe. So that was very much based on the need. So if I had a client coming in for a meeting and I was due to make a presentation, I already knew she hated the kitchen she was in. She hated the bathrooms in her current house. So I got to understand what she currently had. What was her motivation for wanting to make a change and how could I best meet that in my solution I would deliver to her? So there was never any of it that was this pressure cooking moment of, you're about to sign, you've got to sign. It was always a natural progression from meeting the need. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic answer and I couldn't agree more. I think if you're authentic in in meeting the the needs of the people that are looking at your product in in your uh, case, I think that's key. But I think you sort of obviously took that authenticity to a deeper level with anticipating or researching or trying to understand their motives and then tailor the solution to ultimately help them with you know a product that best meets their needs and in doing so and doing the right thing by that individual you become number one salesperson so i think that's uh really really cool um thank you you talk about self-awareness and and as an entrepreneur you uh sometimes you can be seen as maybe i think you, you, you describe it as rude or sometimes people might say that as brash or headstrong um how have you sort of developed your own self-awareness and and has there been anyone that really inspires you or has helped you evolve your approach and and, uh, you as an individual to to get the best outcomes? I think it's been a number of things. I'm a very observant person um, and one thing my mentors have told me is that they've enjoyed working with me because I adapt and I learn, and I've got no ego in the game. I'm not interested in being right all the time. And I think that's so important. You know, in construction, we see a lot of egos. We see a lot of people going, that's just the way it's done and, and move out of the road. And, and they get really quite abrupt when you challenge that. But for me, it was about getting all ego out of the way. Um, and trauma, trauma actually makes you challenge the way you think it makes you go is that right should I be looking at a different way and a lot of it boils down to questioning yourself Sean and that's a very important thing in any success is walking the path but then having the self-awareness to step back and go what did I learn from that how could I do that better and I've got books from when I was at metric on every day that I would write in that says this is what I learned this is what I want to improve on and these are the outcomes that I got. And then I'd adapt that into my next day's work. So it really boils down to questioning yourself because I actually had an old manager that said to me, to make you don't have to be right to be rich. And uh, that stuck with me because whilst my motivations weren't money, it was a matter of saying, who cares if he's right? Let him be right. But you, you take your self-awareness and, and you, you arrive at a solution. I think that's really important in today's day and age. And a lot of people are waking up to see that too, Sean, which is the great thing. A lot of people are going, 
yeah, we don't need the gold stars on our charts. We, we do really just want to be able to improve and be the best person that we can each and every day because the reality is we're not here for a long time. The average life expectancy is, what, 80 years, but we get hit by a car tomorrow. So why would we want to half do life? Why not be the best that we can? Now, I love that mantra of being the best that you can and getting the most out of every day. Also really like the fact that you're observant or put another way inquisitive about maybe mm. how you can evolve and and get better as an individual. And, of course, I think that's only really possible if you're prepared to sort of put that ego to the side and, and sort of uh, open your eyes to different view viewpoints and, and learn from that. But I think the other thing that you touched on that I think it's a good thing to note is the daily reflection exercise. I think so often we just go through life and a year passes, you know, time passes and you're not really conscious of, you know, uh, what you've achieved or what you need to work on or what worked well or what didn't work well. So I think that daily sort of journaling or reflection exercise is a great one just to take stock of that. Mm. Um, so, yes, yeah, so good answers there. Um, I guess – you know, maybe we sort of touched on it a little bit, you know, in terms of your upbringing or youth um, and maybe that's uh, somewhat of a driver for you. But, I mean, what, what motivates you? Uh, what, why are you so driven? I believe it's giving people what I never had. You know, I, I had uh, a lot of experiences that I mentioned earlier on that I just don't want anyone else to experience. And and I mentioned the analogy of the ship to the lighthouse, that that's exactly what I'm doing. You know, there's many a times that as leaders they, they show you this, this heroic person, but we are all trying the best that we can each and every day and we're not invincible. You know, there's been many times I've walked away from matters that I've been in, from legal matters to people trying to bully me to people standing over me, then I've walked away in tears. And the only way I can justify walking this path, good or bad, is to make it easier for someone else who's coming in. You know, we see young girls and I think to myself, God, you would not want your daughter to walk in the footprints that I have. So if I have to walk this path, then I can justify that by building a bridge to make it easier for somebody else. And that's that's my pure motivation is going, I've been through enough pain and enough trauma that I don't I know that I don't want someone else to feel what I've felt. Well, I think that's a tremendous motivator and obviously a very selfless one uh, with that and no doubt sustaining. I think a lot of people focus on themselves, the the material aspects of, of success and whatnot, but it seems like at the core of it, you're, uh, you're really looking to create uh, better futures or better outcomes for people um, that maybe you didn't always have. And, and I guess exactly. I think tough times uh, create resilience and learnings and lessons and obviously you're sharing them, but I mean... It seems like you've no doubt got a track record of success, no doubt, but you've had to bounce back from setbacks and adversity. I mean, mm. can you share anything specific about what you've had to overcome and any tactics or tools or strategies about how you've overcome them? I think it's when, when, you've, when you've lost so much at any point of your life, and I think most of us have been through an experience where we've gone, wow, I didn't see that coming, and now I'm sitting on the ground. How do I build myself up? I I would start from the very basic, you know, when I've been in some very dark holes at a young age of going, what made me happy today? You know, it may only be a couple of little things. Mm. If, if things are that hard in your life, it may only be my dog made me happy, the sun come up today, that made me happy, I got to go for a walk. 
and a lot of um, a lot of who I am now, Sean, has been built from those really tough experiences. And in particular, last year I had chronic fatigue for twelve months, and in me not being able to walk around the corner, in me having to lay in bed every weekend as a twenty-nine-year-old, I was forced to say to myself, "Who are you now? Who are you now that you can't walk? Who are you now that?" You don't, you don't get to go the whole day without sleeping. Who are you now that you don't have control? And that really forces someone to dig deep and find that person. And once you've found her or him, no one can take that from you. Everything is just a, a building, building block on top of that from there. So then you arise as this fearless person that people go, wow, where did you come from? But it's because you've been on the ground. Or too many times. Once you've been there, there's a quote that says there's a certain nobility that arrives when somebody's knees hit the ground. And that's exactly what comes out. You know, you get to you get to feel your way through through the obstacles. One one analogy I used to use when I was younger was I just need to be like a ball. You know, the harder you throw a basketball to the floor, the higher it comes back up. So I would often use that analogy and I had a photo of it. Another thing I had on my desk was a photo of a racehorse and it it would always win just by the nose. So I'd say to myself, I just need to do that little bit more. You know, I think my limits are here, but I just need to do that tiny bit more because it only wins by the nose and it makes such a big difference. Yeah, I think you made some uh, really good uh, analogies or points there and, and you've used some of those things to drive you. Um, just picking up on the the chronic fatigue piece, um, h- how did you arrive at that situation? Was that as a result of just this relentless drive to succeed and work and the passion that consumes you sometimes when you go after some of these things in front of you and obviously the cause that you're serving in terms of trying to shine a light on um, – on uh, you know some of the the talented uh, females that you work with with uh, top one hundred women etc. Like h- how does that chronic fatigue come about? Definitely, it's it's a really good question because I do think a lot of my motivation up until the last year has been driven by fear. Mm-hmm. If I've been in an environment which I was from thirteen, I didn't want to be in. I was running. I was running my hardest. And one thing that women in particular struggle with is boundaries, boundaries to go, I'm allowed to take care of me now. You know, we can be so selfless and in our pursuit to give people what we didn't have. And we're only just learning now as, as women that we're allowed to have boundaries, we're allowed to say no, we're allowed to put ourselves first and we're allowed to shut the door. You know, I, I was at a point in, uh, in my career where top 100 just scaled I also had social housing, which we started to delve more into scaling as well. So I would have women phoning me directly going, I've been given your number. There's women living in tents in, in our town who are 85 years old. Uh, can, can you help me? And that weighed very heavy on my heart mm-hmm. because I was watching everyone around me who just went, again, that's the way it is. And I was like, that's not okay. But one thing I'd, I'd learned out of that whole experience is that it is okay to take time for yourself. Mm. It is okay to look after you. And I think we really need to move beyond that as, as women because we're better people if we can put self-care first. It used to be looked at as selfish. You know, you've got children, you've got businesses. How could you just, you know, put all that aside and take care of yourself? But your business will only grow as much as what you do. 
So it's so important that the, you can establish those boundaries and they're caring boundaries because often what we do is we don't tell people our boundaries but then we resent them when they don't comply with them, that we resent people when they've gone too far but we haven't vocalised what they are. So it was a very big learning curve for me to shift my, my perspective, shift my motivation from a place of fear to love and that might sound corny but there really is uh, that old school, old fashioned perspective of, oh, I've got you. You know, I've got you on that one bit of detail you've missed. I've caught you out there. And it's such an unhealthy, unsustainable way to live your life. If you can really come from a loving place and treat people the same, it's calm and it's peaceful and you can build a successful outcome from that perspective. Yeah, and I think just looking into your answer there, I think if you're driven by love versus fear, it's probably more sustainable, less taxing uh, driver uh, than the fear. Yes. Uh, obviously, love being Definitely. a more of a positive scenario. Um, but I think, uh, yeah, I think it's, it's great that you've got that realisation of, of self-care. I think uh, too often I've seen as well uh, tremendously successful people, but they just become so consumed by their endeavours that either their personal health or personal relationships outside of that uh, so-called primary endeavour, fail or struggle or whatever, and uh, they suffer as a result. And I think if you can sort of make sure that you've got yourself in harmony, as a good uh, friend of mine says, uh, balance is hard, but trying to get a a bit of harmony uh, and amongst it all, I think you're, you're better across the board. So I think... Where we're going in the future, there's more of that. There's more. There's less of the old paradigm, the rigid mm. boundaries of what can and can't be done at certain times. I think we can be effective in different ways. So I think that's uh, a great answer on your part. And I think that's where I, I feel quite blessed, to be honest, to have that experience quite young because, yeah. you know, at 29, I, I got an opportunity to step back and go, where are you running to, Tamika? And I had a nursing home across the road. So it was quite, it was a real, you know, look in the mirror point in my life, Sean, where I got to go, where are you running to and what are you running from? So I think I'm, I feel quite blessed to have that quite young in my life. Well, yeah, just picking up on that as well, I, I love the fact that you've turned that perspective of chronic fatigue into a positive and an insightful ex- uh, experience as opposed to why me, poor me, this isn't fair, I shouldn't have this at 29. So, Again, you've, you've pivoted that difficult situation into a positive one. Um, I guess my next question is, is uh, a pretty one. Uh, it's a one that's near and dear to my heart because uh, just recently my nine-year-old daughter, Soph, and I have started listening to podcasts, and, and that's a big driver for me. And doing the podcast is sort of sharing some of these learnings of people that have been successful uh, in life. But I think role models are really important and no doubt uh, you're a role model for for people um, and in particular uh, for females. So for my daughter Sophie um, and others, you know, what uh, what sort of key messages would you pass on to young girls like Sophie? Yeah, and look, it's so important that that we are looking at this this age group, Sean, especially Sophie's age, and that's actually one thing we're building with the top 100 women is we've started the top 100 girls to encourage them to get on board. I think that previously we had this idea that we shouldn't listen to children. We shouldn't, you know, their voices are to be, they're there to be seen and not heard. And I could not disagree more because we need them to realise they have their own voice. We need them to realise that the leaders that you're watching are just like you. And you have just as much power to do you really well. 
I think that's so important, you know, for, for young girls because I don't know about you, Sean, but I remember growing up and you'd see all these really successful people and it was a matter of, oh, when you get older, when you get to this point, when you reach to that point, and all that does is subliminally put this concrete idea in our kids' heads that they need to get to a certain point and then their life can start, then their life can be, then they can be happy. And I think it's really important that girls can see that they can be exactly as they are. They can be authentic as they are and they can they can be whoever they want to be. They can change the world. They can change the, the scenarios that they're in. But most importantly, they're entitled to do that. They're entitled to have that. I was doing my makeup the other day and my little niece, she's uh, she's four, was watching me and she's like, can I put on makeup too? And I actually took it all off and said, no, no, you actually don't need it. You're beautiful sure. as you are. Sure. And I think that's one thing that's that we really need to teach girls is that if you're walking around, you know, everyone has their own perspective in life, but if you're walking around with a hell of a lot of fillers and Botox, guess what your daughter's going to see? Mm. You know, do you really, do we really want our daughters to be growing up in an environment where they feel like they're not enough and they need to look and be a certain way for them to be enough? You know, I think it's so important that we, we teach these girls at a young age that exactly as you are, you are perfect. As imperfect as you are, you are perfect. I think that's one message that I really would love young girls to to know from very early on rather than wanting the hard way like we had to. Yeah, I think you make some great points there in so much as uh, I think as a role model, people around you uh, consciously or unconsciously take on board the way you act and operate. And like you say, if uh, if it's not the makeup, then it's the Botox and all the rest. Of it. You might not explicitly say that mm. this is what you need to do to be beautiful, but uh, inadvertently, subconsciously, you're sort of setting the example that maybe you have to do that for a reason, and, and young girls might pick up on that. Exactly. But, but I think the other component of your answer is um, really just encouraging uh, young girls to be their authentic best self. And you already, you know, you've already got the the tools and the potential and all the rest of it. Just believing that it's not getting to 18 or 20 or 25, it's not necessarily getting the degree or whatever the case is to make that possible. You know, you, you just, uh, you know, I guess um, uh, inspiring them to become their best version of them, not necessarily of other yes. things or paradigms or examples around them. Believe in themselves and be true to themselves and be their best version of themselves. Exactly. And we don't want duplicates, right? We don't need one person duplicated across the world. We need different inputs you know there's plenty of seats at the table for both women men girls and boys we need those alternative approaches and and what's interesting is that I I presented a a social housing strategy to a board just recently that I've been working with for a a year or two and I presented this strategy that I've, I've, I've spent so long putting together and for so long it didn't make sense to me why I felt like I never fit it in in so many places and this 80 year old woman on the board said to me we have never had a perspective like this this can solve so many problems with what you've come up with and it's like nothing we've ever seen before she said to me we've sat with high level executives and and large corporations who've never had this perspective I love it it's great and what that said to me you know not not 
saying it from an ego place, but what that said to me is I was always meant to be me. Mm. I was never meant to be you. I was never meant to follow the path that you set out for me to do. I was meant to follow my own. And that that has already, you know, I'm thankful, but that has already shown me that that was part of my purpose was to walk an unusual path, was to come up with something different, have different perspectives, and and hopefully that in turn is what will, will really help people. Now, I think uh, you've obviously got the courage and belief to sort of uh, be your authentic self, and, and I think that's important, and I think it's taxing when you're not your authentic self, when you're trying to be something that's not who you are at your own core, that's that's taxing. And, and equally, when you are your authentic self, I think that's tremendously energizing. It is. Um, so it seems like you've definitely done it, coming at it from a different angle rather than subscribe to you know, typical paradigm. So that's obviously worked in yours and, and other people's advantage. But uh, I always find it interesting with people that are successful as to what are their habits or rituals to get the most out of themselves or their days. Um, I'd be interested to sort of understand from your perspective, is there anything you do on a regular basis um, to get the best out of yourself or the best out of your days? I think last year in, ha- in having chronic fatigue, one of the habits that I did learn was meditation because I couldn't control anything that was happening around me physically. So I really had to learn the art of letting go. And I think that's that's imperative to anyone's success to learn meditation, but not just to learn meditation, sorry, but to learn the art of letting go every day, to be able to stay sane, to be able to be happy to be able to live alive. So I'm a big person, um, a big believer in meditation, um, also exercise, and I'm pretty, I'm pretty clean now with my diet after being sick for a while there. So my habits would be meditation, self-development in some way, reading, um, and taking time out for yourself. You know, we've discussed this previously, Sean, that it's important that you can take a backward perspective, and that means not glorifying busy. So many people walk around and go, I'm so busy, I'm so busy, as if, you know, you're going to get a gold star at the end of your day for being the busiest person. But taking that step back allows you to have that perspective of where you're going. So those three things I'd say are pretty important for my everyday I guess, success or progress, you would call it? Yeah, no, I think uh, you made some great points. Uh, I too uh, really enjoy uh, meditation and exercise, and I think meditation is probably something that's gaining more of my momentum. Justin Langer referred it on to me, and in the beginning I sort of thought, yeah, I I don't know about this, but now I do it. It's sort of hard to imagine life without it. And also uh, Tim Ferriss, the uh, the podcaster and, and author who's written many books and all the rest of it, he wrote uh, a book, uh, The Tools of Titans, and one Great of book. the recurring themes of some of the most successful people in all walks of life is meditation. Um, so I think mean, it's something people should grapple more and more. Um, so you're right, it's a fantastic book. Um, and uh, I guess a bit of a curveball. Um, what can you tell us? about the merits of carrying uh, rose quartz in your pocket when you go to meetings or undertake things. Uh, my research <laughs> tells me that this may be a strategy. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> so that's my curveball question for today. That's funny. Okay, that was definitely a curveball. I didn't see that one coming. I think it's, it's stemming down to um, – it definitely stems down to coming from place of love. And I know that mm-hmm. sounds um, – 
some people, you know, I probably, I probably would have heard that five or six years ago and gone off, you know, what a wank, excuse my language, but whatever. <laughs> but it actually, it really is important. You know, if you can approach people from a level of compassion, um, then you assume the best. You can still have your eyes entirely open to see things and observe things, but you can assume the best. You know, someone might get angry at you and you can respond from your ego or react, sorry, and then, or you could step back and go, I can see they're actually having a really hard time in business. They're having a hard time at home. There's something going on in their lives and not taking that personally. So that way I can respond in an appropriate way to not take it personally, to not have an argument and exhaust my energy for the sake of it with no real outcome. It's just a matter of approaching things in a loving way that says that's okay. You know, we've all had that feeling of, You've drafted something and you've done it absolutely perfect and someone's caught you on that one thing you didn't do. And it's a terrible feeling. You know, we can approach things in a way that says that's brilliant. So moving forward, perhaps look at this one item we we just overlooked, but apart from that, that's great. So it's about putting yourself out of the way to have empathy and to have compassion, to, to really believe that you're allowed to be kind you're you know and you can be successful in doing so for so long in my life I've been dealt with so many hard experiences and I worked really hard to remain kind to remain the person that I am when the rest of the world kept saying to me you know you can't show you kindness you can't be considered as weakness you can't do that you've got to be tough and I thought no I don't want to lose myself so it's a really brave thing to step out and say this is all who I am. This is all of who I am and I'm, I'm kind and I want to approach things in a loving way, but I will not be walked on. So that's a bit of the uh, bit of the background behind that. No, I think it's a great answer and obviously it's a conscious reminder of all of that um, and obviously uh, whilst you demonstrate strengths and, and you won't be walked over, I, I do like that uh, compassion and empathy. Uh, I think uh, when you see people behave in a way that uh, – the younger version of you might have thought, um, right, I'm going to go into battle with that point of view, um, moving that to a perspective. Yes. Like, actually, if they're behaving and acting, acting that way, you know, that they're obviously not uh, maybe great themselves or there's something else at play here. Therefore, I'll have a level of empathy for how they're acting and behaving as opposed to feeling like I need to challenge that and sort of looking through that uh, behavior a little bit. So I, I, I too, practice that a little bit and good on you for continuing that sort of mantra of, of kindness. Oh, Sean, sorry, I was just going to say people are going to disappoint you. You know, people are going to hurt you and that's inevitable. Mm-hmm. But you can still choose to see that from a different perspective. There's been many people that have let me down in my life and I could still take a backward step and go, I want to give you the opportunity to make the right decision. And if you don't, I know myself well enough that I can walk away without taking that personally because that's a decision that you've made. So it's important to remember that. Yeah, and I think you you mentioned earlier about the importance of letting go. Um, I, I, I see too many people that carry the baggage of their past and they've got all this resentment and hang-ups about what happened in the past and it just weighs them down. It, it doesn't – carrying that around and that so-called metaphorical backpack that you carry around just weighs you down. It doesn't make life any easier. It doesn't serve you in any positive way. 
Um, it doesn't mean that you become exactly that, like you said. But you know, uh, you know, the, there is no value in hanging on to something. You you move on from it. You learn from it. You accept it. Um, but just hang hanging on to it, just uh, you can see it in people's faces. They're just sort of weighed down. They're hard. They're resentful, and that um, holding on to all that stuff doesn't help them. So I think yeah, you make a great point in that regard as well but uh, we've talked a, a lot about getting better as a person uh, as a leader uh, as a business owner and you also refer to books um, being something and mentors I mean how do you how do you sort of get better uh, on any of those fronts and is there any sort of key books or aspects you can leave Lewis's with that um, you know others might be able to sort of uh, consume or take stock of one of my favourite books was, the, it's actually called The Power of Love and it talks about the two clear perspectives that you can take from fear or from love and it really helps you to have that observer's bird's eye, I guess, to see that in your everyday life. So rather than emotionally reacting, all of a sudden you get to recognise those patterns to go, okay, well, they're acting from fear, they're scared. So you don't take it personally anymore. Suddenly someone's screaming at you, which, you know, gosh, I have, have that, a few, I've had that a few times in construction, you know, people just start screaming and I'm quite, I'm quite good now at remaining calm because I think they're scared. They actually think that I'm doing the wrong thing here, but I'm not. So I'm just going to wait for them to stop yelling and then I'm going to clearly make, you know, make it clear to them that that's not my intentions. So it really takes the emotion out of it. Energy is something that we only have a, we only have a small amount of energy every day. And this is what chronic fatigue taught me is that I'd get into an argument and I'd be exhausted. I'd listen to something I didn't want to listen to, or I'd do something I didn't want to, and I'd be tired. So I really got to understand that give and take mentality that you need to meet in the middle. Otherwise, it's exhausting. If you go over that line, like my acupuncturist used to say, you're, you're already overexpending your energy. But The Power of Love was, was a book that was really important to me in seeing that from that perspective. I love Tools of the Titans, like you mentioned. I thought that was a really good book to be able to recap the success of people. I thought the Kerry Packer book was, uh, was quite an interesting one, but very, very intelligent man. Um, sure, I think of some other favourite books. And Seeking the Sacred, sorry, would be my other favourite book. That's a really good one on compassion yeah um and uh yeah i too have read uh tools of titans and kerry packer i assume you're looking at the the book uh, referring to the book the rise and rise of kerry packer um and sort of yes yeah, that's so it's an interesting insight and account into his upbringing success and, and methodologies and and uh yeah i think there's some insights on both sides of that coin but no doubt achieved an, an incredible uh light and, and changed the game on so many different fr uh, fronts but the last book you mentioned what, what what's the sort of short summary of the premise of that book seeking the sacred is about compassion it really is about delving into who you are as a person because it makes you question it makes you question everything it makes you question you know why you're doing things the way you are and also that there is no real harm in approaching things in a kind way often we approach in a reactive way because we are too fearful however if someone questions you and says what are you scared of it really gives you a chance to ask yourself what is it that I'm scared of? Am I scared I'm going to be dominated? 
Am I scared that I'm going to lose and look silly? So it really makes you question a lot of those things, which is why I love that book. Yeah, fantastic. Well, I think there's some great uh, great uh, books for people to follow up on in that regard. And, and uh, also I think you mentioned earlier as well uh, mentors or seeking out different people to sort of either observe or become inquisitive or ask questions of those that have uh, arguably achieved success. Uh, but mentors have been something you've, uh, you've used over time as well. I have, and I think it's important that you, you know, you commit to a mentor. There's a lot of people that are very time poor that have given me their time because they've seen that every bit of advice they've given me, I've taken away, I've researched, and I've come back. I'd go to sales meetings and the manager would mention three books and I'd come back and I'd go, yeah, I've read them. (laughs) You know, I'm ready to go. What else can you give me? So it's mentors who are extremely busy like we all are will give you their time if they know that you're giving 100%. But in doing the courses that I have on brain science, which was an interesting one, it actually talks about how if we're emotional, that line cuts straight through the logical part of our brain so we can't think logically. Mm. So if you're having an emotional experience or someone's wound you up, you can either ask yourself a series of questions to get yourself to think logical or mentors are great because they can pick up the phone and and talk to you and just ask you a couple of questions and then it's factual and then you get out of that experience going oh okay probably wasn't that big of a deal so it's the perspectives it's the foresight and a good mentor shouldn't sit there and say when you get to my point you know I'm so much better than you so when you get here a good mentor should guide you in questions and and getting you to find those answers yourself and that can be hard because you want to just tell people the path however if you're questioning someone it'll it allows them to arrive at their own conclusions which they need to because if they're anything like me they're probably going to learn the hard way because they have to walk and then go crap that hurt I won't do that again so it's important to have mentors, but even more so important to have mentors who don't take the power away from you in saying that I'm this righteous person up here. You know, having a mentor that's reachable, that's teachable is important. Now, well, I love your, your drive to get better better on a number of fronts, uh, and obviously that's uh, something that you're passionate about, uh, becoming the best version of your own self as well, and I think that takes commitment, um, which is great. But um Obviously, through the podcast, we've established that you've achieved an awful lot already uh, at a young age. But, um, you know, what can you sort of share in terms of your vision or or dream of the future? I mean, as you sort of look out uh, over the next uh, 5, 10, 15 or so years, um, what sort of drives or motivates you in that regard? I think the picture I see is uh, the top 100. We're we're building a member platform there to be able to help and connect women all over the world. So that'll be a big part of my future is building that. I'm also starting to get asked for a number of speaking engagements and things like that, which, you know, we're tying into the awareness of the top 100. But a large uh, part of what I feel that I will be doing is in social housing. So both top 100 and social housing are very similar in the sense that We're creating pathways for people to make better decisions for themselves. So I feel that 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 will be, you know, I'm reluctant sometimes to go, this is where I'm going because I know life throws curveballs at you. And if you're such a visionary, which I was, it can be really difficult to let that go 
because life's like you're over here and you're going no 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 I was going there like no <laughs> so it's um it's important that you can adapt constantly but I would say my future would be building the top 100 women to where it needs to be and in further rolling out the social housing strategy which I'm, I'm really excited to do so that can help that can help people because you've got, you've got to remember women have come a long way in a short period of time what drives me in the social housing to answer your question Sean is my grandmother's on one side I had, had a grandmother who was physically abused you know so much to the point that my father's partially deaf because, you know, he was beaten so bad as a child. On the other hand, I had a grandmother who was raped, had a child, and that child was adopted out. Because in that day, they didn't talk about things. Everyone wants to perceive this perfect image. No one talks about things. You know, we've got a voice now as women and as girls, and I think, I think that's powerful. We've got something that these women didn't have. And particularly in the social housing, a lot of people don't realise the majority of people who are homeless or in need of a home are actually our grandmothers. They're not the drug addicts that you want to perceive and stereotype. They're women who didn't work, who had children, who raised children, whose husbands have left or passed away. And now they're in a position going, I, I don't know how to bring in money. You know, what do I do now? I'm not skilled enough. No one's going to employ me. And they're the ones who are left suffering. So my big driving factor is is in helping that because we can, not because we should or anything like that, but because we can. Well, I think you're, uh, you're definitely well on your way to leaving a, a really strong and positive legacy in terms of some of those endeavours that really drive you and obviously the businesses that you've founded to support that uh, uh, endeavour. So uh, really um, congratulate you on that sort of side of it. But I, I guess in, just in sort of concluding in conscious of a your time, obviously you're very busy, but if I was to give you this uh, – this magic phone, if you could somehow uh, call uh, the 15-year-old version of yourself, uh, what what piece of advice uh, would you pass on to that uh, young lady at that stage of her life? Um, what wisdom would you share? I think I'd say what my grandfather used to always say to me, and he was quite a, a big role model in my life before he passed away at five. He was in Stockman's Hall of Fame, and he used to always say, he used to call me a little old lady and he'd say, stay in the goddamn saddle. <laughs> so I think that would be my advice back then because you look back and you think, God, you have no idea what's coming. Yep. <laughs> you have yeah. no idea what's what's ahead of you, sweetheart. Yep. So it's um, I would say it's worth it. You know, keep going. It doesn't make sense right now, but it will. So Keep going. Don't compare your story to anyone else's because it won't make any sense. But keep going. Stay in the saddle and take a leap of faith knowing that everything you are going through will one day make sense. Well, fantastic. Well, look, I think you've shared so many key takeaways today. It's been super interesting um, chatting with you on that sort of front. I've taken a bunch of notes myself and I've got no doubt that uh, – those that listen to the podcast will be inspired and, and no doubt get plenty of takeaways. So, um, yeah, thanks so much for taking the time to join us, Tamika. You're doing some wonderful work right across the board and no doubt 
your uh, your endeavours are going to continue to grow and become more apparent and visible. So uh, really appreciate you taking the time to join us and, and share those aspects uh, today on, on the podcast show and all the very best for continuation of your legacy that you're leaving behind you. Thanks, Sean. I really appreciate you having me. Thanks so much for listening in today, guys. Uh, as we talked about at the top of the show, I uh, hope you really uh, got some good takeaways out of that. I know I personally have. Look forward to further podcasts. The next one we're going to release is a rebadged version uh, and a relaunch of Richie McCaw. Incredible individual, remarkable way that he's approached his career in football, but there's so many transferable things into all aspects of life. So I'm really excited about reposting uh, that. Uh, it's one of our most listened to podcasts and it's podcast so that's our next one thanks again for joining us cheers